Hello, and welcome to Interdependent Study, our podcast where we engage in the learning and unlearning work for social justice and collective liberation. I'm Aaron. And I'm Damien. Thank you so much for joining us today. For those new to our podcast, Interdependent Study is meant to be a space and community for folks who believe in and want to do the work of social justice. Each week, we bring something new to the table and discuss our thoughts and feelings about it through the lenses of who we are and where we can go for a more just society. And we want interdependent study to be a space where we're always learning with one another, uh, hence the interdependent. Yes. Uh, and Damien, you're <laughs> up this week. So uh, what do you bring to the table today? That's right. All right. So I have brought two articles to the table for us today. Uh, they were both published back in January because mm-hmm. it's now February uh, in In These Times magazine. So folks can check these articles out there if they want to uh, join along with us. Uh, their website is inthesetimes.com. So the first article is called, There Were Only 12 Days Last Year When Police Didn't Kill Someone. Mm-hmm. And it was written by Sharon Zhang, who is a journalist who covers issues related to politics and climate and labor um, for lots of different entities. Um, and then the second piece is called, After a Record Year for Police Violence, Is It Finally Time to Defund the Police? Uh, by Sonali Kolkatar, uh, who is a TV and radio personality uh, and also a writing fellow at mm-hmm. the Independent Media Institute. And so, you know, I, I think these were, I thought these were really great pieces, um, really focused on some critical questions and issues surrounding police violence yep. um, that have certainly been challenging this country and our society for for forever now, right? Yeah. Um, but you know, I think as we even as we sit here today and record this episode, I think you know we're still wrapping our hearts and our minds around the fact that charges were just recently brought up against the Memphis police officers who murdered Tyree Nichols, who mm-hmm. uh, you know was this twenty nine year old black man. Um, with just if you, I hope folks have seen pictures of this man. This man's smile is just uh, incredible mm. um, at just a routine traffic stop. Um, and so, I think you know these. I think the conversation, hopefully, we're about to have today uh, is is certainly just very timely and super relevant and, and important. Um, and and you know, in this larger conversation and and change that our society needs to seriously engage in as it relates to policing yeah. and and quite frankly the future of policing um so yeah there's there's a lot to talk about mm-hmm. i think here mm-hmm. uh, where do you want to start my friend yeah um i so i really appreciated these two articles they're really succinct they get to the point about what's been going on with policing over the last year and, yes. and more uh than that even um and you know i think the f- fact that police killings have continued to increase um, should be a, a real wake-up call for legislatures and uh, city councils um, to rethink some things, but it seems like we only keep increasing their funding. Yeah. Um, and mm. one of the major things that these articles point out is that the media narrative and what people seem to believe is that, poli- that police budgets have decreased um, across the country uh, in the wake of the conversation around defund. Um, but that's mostly just not true. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's just hard to wrap my mind around how we continue to justify funding these gigantic police department budgets um, when they continue to kill more and more people each year. Um, just And those are the people that we, we tracked, right? Right. Um, through, through a few different projects. Um, 
and uh, we've talked about stuff like this on the podcast before, but there's a specific narrative about how policing is the only way we can produce public safety. And from all the stuff we've read and watched and learned from here, whether it's from Miriam Kaba or, um, you know, uh, feminism, uh, abolition now, mm-hmm. um, or any number of things, um, we, we know that there are other ways that people are creating public safety yes. um, beyond the police. Um, and so, you know, I think that there's a real, um, looking at the totality of the picture, it's hard for me to imagine how there isn't a real wake-up call to fund these other ideas and find ways to support people uh, beyond just sending a cop into every single situation that we, we have. Yeah. Like the, just the standard, you know, call 911 and, and, you know, they dispatch a, a police officer and so many of these situations as we've seen, like, it's just not effective. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's a strategy that unfortunately has led to so many deaths um, yeah. in our society. So I, yeah, I think all those are such great points. You know, I, I too couldn't, help but be reminded of all of our conversations sort of on and off this podcast, right? About what true public safety could and should look like, right? And Mm -hmm. what we deserve and what all of these countless human beings who have died at the hands of the police uh, deserve, right? Um, And all of us deserve, right? Um, And I, and it's so clear to me, to us, hopefully to folks listening that policing in this country just isn't that, yeah. Um, in fact, for so many of us, <laughs> policing is the polar opposite of that, obviously. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, um, you know, I, I can't help but think and I actually was just talking to some family about this um, this weekend. when We were sort of reflecting on Tyree Nichols. It's this system, this machine um, yeah. of policing is racist. It's anti-black. It actively doesn't care about and it disregards and it dehumanizes black and brown people in this country period mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and so it's wild to couple that and comprehend that in the context of Sharon Zhang's piece in particular and the data that she cites about there only being 12 days <laughs> 12 yeah. calendar days of 2022 when police didn't kill someone right um mm-hmm. and and how that number of people that police killed which is over 1,100 people, uh, was the highest on record from the past decade, right? When some of these projects that you say started to sort of keep track of this data and how the overwhelming majority of those police killings were committed in the midst of a nonviolent situation, right? Or when a nonviolent crime had allegedly taken place, right? Um, You know, and then we talk about and you factor race into it, right? One One in four of the folks killed by police were black and Latinx and indigenous folks um, are also just disproportionately killed by police, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think when you couple all of those data points, those figures, what you talked about, right, it's hard to reconcile the notion of what public safety could be with what it currently is um, and and how the data that we have and the evidence that we have here just shows us what the reality of the situation is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, I don't know, at least for me, for us, I think as we have these conversations, it just feels so much like we're doing the same thing over and over again. We're talking about the same thing over and over. And, you know, we've only been having these discussions 
and recording them um, <laughs> for the last uh, two years and, and a couple weeks now. But, um, you know, this has been a, a bigger conversation for a really long time. Absolutely. Um, and it's continued to evolve. And I think that, um, yeah, I like one of the one of the articles was is it time to final is it finally time to defund the police um yeah and yeah so i i read through um that um and there was an article linked in it um oh, yeah. called uh quote we analyzed 29 years of police spending in hundreds of cities which was and uh in hundreds of cities period um that was published in slate right um and basically what happens is the numbers of misdemeanor arrests increase or decrease based on the number of officers present uh, on the force yes um and it's misdemeanor arrests specifically um there's not a correlation with felony arrests uh and okay. the number of officers um on a, on a police force uh in a city. Um, and the article points out that these arrests are concentrated in poor neighborhoods and communities of color. And that these misdemeanor arrests for low level crimes mean that it's less likely for people to stay in school yep. or to be hired for a job or obtain mm -hmm. housing, right? There's all these ways that we shut people out of systems once they have something on their record. Yes. Uh, and the article closes with quote, during this unique moment, elected officials have the opportunity to reach for innovative policing alternatives refocus on violence rather than misdemeanors and continue the beneficial decline in low level arrests. Few seem ready to take it, mm. which I think is so spot on. It is. There's such a resistance to going, um, sort of a, in a leftward direction from the status quo, yeah. um, and being labeled woke as if that's, you know, a bad thing to try to understand something from beyond your own personal experience, which, right. um, yeah, and and um, you know, but to try to speak out against police violence and funding, particularly as an elected official, means that the fraternal order of police will get on your case. They'll Ooh, be yeah. hounding you. Mm -hmm. um, and it goes against the more broadly accepted narrative that we talked about earlier that police produce public safety, right? Um, which you know is a, is another sort of myth of the of the project of policing. Absolutely. Well, I think you you bring up some really good points around this idea of sort of um, an expanded thought uh, around what public safety is, right? We, in in this case, I think we're in these articles talk a lot about killing of people, right? Yeah. But the police do more violence than that, right? Absolutely. And the criminal punishment system does more violence than that, right? Mm -hmm. And causes more harm than that, right? And so thinking about this idea of, um, as you say, you know, it, it's, when folks are arrested for these kinds of uh, alleged crimes, right, they're less likely to stay in school. They can't be hired, right? They lose yeah. job. They they lose their job. They potentially lose their housing or can't obtain housing. So there's so many effects of being um, introduced uh, or pushed into the criminal punishment system or having some kind of interaction with the police um, that certainly could lead you to the tragic end of death uh, right. but also could just really destroy your life mm -hmm. well yeah and if you if you concentrate policing in uh particular neighborhoods mm. you find more issues in those neighborhoods when the same issues occur in the neighborhoods you're not concentrating police in um but you don't you can't arrest people for misdemeanors you don't see yes and if you only send people to see right you only send police to see what people are doing in one neighborhood you don't Right. Like, so that's another reason why I think like, well, why, do, why do we need to be 
cracking down on like, mm-hmm. you know, low level things that are nonviolent and et cetera, et cetera. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's such a good point. I also, you know, um, think you bring up a good point too, just around this idea of our, our elected officials. I think it's so difficult every election cycle, um, to see really inaction as it relates to sort of pushing for uh, a real investment in the exploration and implementation of like policing alternatives mm-hmm. uh, that exist out there. Like, you know, we, we have um, resources and ideas and, and concrete examples of real alternatives that are working in places. Um, but so many, um, cities and municipalities and states and and so many elected officials aren't pursuing those right Um, we've got great activists and abolitionists who have cultivated these options for us um, but instead we continue to stick with this current policing model that as we talked about is doing nothing but harming and and Mm -hmm. killing people Mm -hmm. right Um, and uh, I, I can't even remember what article that was or what media we consumed where we talked about this idea of like police unions and the fraternal order of police right and their stronghold on their monetary stronghold right on our elected officials election campaigns right the direction of spending um, it's shameful. Um, and so, you know, I, I think related to this and to what you talked about earlier and from that other article is just this idea of how much funding is spent at all levels of our government yep. on this broken institution. It's wild, right? Yep. Our, our local counties, our cities, our states, all the way up to our federal government and, and also the investment in the criminal punishment system. We've talked about that too. And so not only does funding... I think for for policing have a stronghold on many of our elected officials and their actions. It unfortunately also then has, you know, a stronghold on what public safety has looked like in this country. Yeah. Well, if you think, yeah, I mean, you talk about the funding having a a stranglehold um, on on cities. A lot of cities spend 50 percent of their annual budget on policing. Um, Yes. (laughs) And that's. You know, such a big chunk yes. of, you know, what you have to spend that other things have to get cut if that's the non-negotiable part of your budget. Absolutely. Which it's it a frequently big, becomes. It's a big chunk on, of what you have to spend and, and it's a it's it eliminates uh, your capacity to spend on all the other things that cities naturally have to fund and mm-hmm. have to support. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I saw something on. um social media somewhere um that the the memphis memphis police department budget is like 38 percent of the of the city budget Mm. um and you know it's also like super high in child poverty um that city so you know we're spending memphis is spending how much money on policing and how little money on addressing childhood poverty yeah um, mm. so those are right. Like the things I think, I think about when I, when I think about this too, Absolutely. It's like, where's, where, what else could we be using that for? Absolutely. Um, so another article that was linked in one of these articles, I don't remember which one, which one, okay. <laughs> um, but it's called let 2023 be the year of dismantling incarceration, mm. uh, which was published in truth out and written by Maya Schwenwar, um, who co-wrote a book called prison by any other name, um, which we've yes. mentioned here before. Yes, but we have. I haven't had a chance to read yet. Um, but I think we watched a webinar or something yes. with, with her in it. Yes. Um, and there's so many inspiring things in that, in that article that organizers are doing to move us towards 
toward um, abolition and dismantling incarceration in the criminal punishment system, um, from closing prisons and jails to freeing elders uh, and expanding le- release, uh, and Seattle seeming to lead the way in, in actually making cuts to their police department budget um, and building community-based power. Um, so there are lots of amazing things happening around the country uh, that are moving us slowly to the world that we need rather than the one that we have. Absolutely. Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up and, mm-hmm. and read that linked article. It's I think it's really inspiring uh, and gives me hope when I think about all of the the organizing work, the thinking, uh, um, the incredible just work toward abolition that's happening and and the successful alternatives to policing that exist out there that are actively in place and are running out there, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And and that makes me think about, and I know I mentioned this when I introduced um, this last week, but uh, that website, Mm defundpolice.org, right? so, and I want to talk about it a little bit in application, so spoiler alert, but you know, there's, there's so many great resources out there like that. Um, and I, I just think that with what we've talked about today and what we're experiencing in this country, we're certainly beyond the point where we desperately need real change. Yeah. We need revolution to get us to where we need to be. Mm-hmm. You know, in so many ways, we've had uprisings, too, over the last Absolutely. seven, eight years mm-hmm. um, that are a response to police violence and police um, tactics, I guess, and yeah. the, the things they do in communities. Um, and I, I think, you know, we'll continue to see more of it until we continue to until we see actual like change in how things happen. Um yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, this feels like a good place. I, I alluded to some spoiler alerts for <laughs> <laughs> applications. Let's shift gears and talk about application and, you know, how we're going to apply this conversation moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for me, the the application of all of this is in what we kind of just talked about, and that's abolition, right? And and just the need for it and the real imperative, I think, that exists right now to overhaul and change our current conditions so that we don't continue to have Another year where there are over 1,000 deaths at the hands of the police in this country. And, you know, we also know that those deaths um, and and truly uh, uh, true atrocities exist in, you know, prisons, right? And, yeah. and as part of our the, the, the overarching criminal punishment system, right? And so, you know, as we both said earlier, I'm inspired by the amazing abolitionists and organizers that have worked tirelessly to figure out and propose solutions. Mm -hmm. Um, So when I was thinking about application, um, it makes me think about just how we all have to do our part and we all have to do work to really understand where we need to be. And so, you know, I thought about how one potential way to do that is this defundpolice.org website. And I poked around a little bit on it. I want to do more poking around on it because it's an absolutely incredible resource that all of us can use. Um, even yeah. as lay people can continue to continue to learn about abolition in general and, and the myriad of resources and organizing and legislation that's currently out there. Um, and I think the, the really important thing that all of us can also do is to push for real change within our spheres of influence using the resources on this website as well, right? And so yeah. how can you influence your local communities? How can you influence your family and their thinking? How can you influence and fight for and, and advocate for um, what you want to see um, 
with your vote, right? Um, so that that website is one I want to continue to take a look at and want to make sure that we amplify here a bit too. Yeah, it's um, it's a good one. There's a lot of really good tools on that um, to to check out. Um, so my application for this week is to try to I guess dive into. Um, why I'm in favor of defunding and ultimately abolishing police in favor of another set of systems that actually holds public safety for the people. Okay. Um, so one of the things that uh, Samuel uh, Sinyangwe, uh, who's the founder of Mapping Police Violence, says in the article, in one of the articles, um, uh, or he says in the article there are only 12 days last year when the police didn't kill someone, uh, is that, quote, these are routine police encounters that escalate to a killing. Um, so these are moments uh, when the police find themselves or the police themselves are escalating the situation um, or they don't understand the situation that they're involved in and how to engage with it. And they jump to violence. Yes. Um, so if that's a routine traffic stop, if that is, um, you know, responding to somebody who's going through some kind of crisis, um, there's a jump to violence. Um, and these are generally moments that shouldn't escalate to violence and they could be handled differently. Um, and yet killings continue to increase those, those numbers continue to go up each year and we've tried reforms for decades and, and killings keep increasing. Um, and it's tried to, it's time to try some other possible solutions. Um, you know, what does safety look like if people have healthcare and they aren't stressed about these costs? Mm. Safety looks different in that system yes. than what it looks like right now. What safety look like if people have ways to engage in their community, whether that's traditional jobs or other opportunities? That that's different than what we have right now. Absolutely. What safety look like if we have a well-funded education system that has what it needs to serve all of our kids and our communities? Mm -hmm. Right. And I should say not just our kids, but anybody else who has been. Uh, anybody else who needs to seek education for some reason, yes, right? Like absolutely. there's all kinds of reasons why adults need to um, seek education. Um, that's different than what we have now. Mm -hmm. um, and what does it look like to reduce police budgets mm -hmm. to fund some of those things? Yes. To give people city jobs that are connected with their community in some way yeah. um, or to give people uh, increase like education funding um, to get our systems what they need, um, right? All that costs money, and it seems like we have some places that have a surplus. Yes, um, yes. <laughs> and so, yeah, I think it's time to start investing elsewhere and finding ways that we can um, create public safety and consider what public safety is in an entirely different way. I love that. I really do. Those are some really great questions to consider and and really yeah, questions to help us flip our thinking mm -hmm. around what's going on here. So yep. uh, I love that application for sure. Thank Thanks you. for that. Yep. Um, all right. Well, uh, we've both talked about our application. Let's both talk about our homework. Sounds good. What do we want to do when we leave this table today? Um, I You just mentioned the Mapping Police Violence mm -hmm. uh, um entity project um you know they're a resource that was quoted a lot and and their data was pulled for a lot of uh what we saw in this in these two articles and so i want to spend some time with the mapping police violence resource it's a comprehensive uh website and, and resource just full of information and data related to police brutality and and violence in this country and it's set up to be a live tracker right which is yep 
I hate to say pretty cool. Like it's pretty cool. It's not pretty cool, but it's pretty right. cool. You know what I mean? Uh, so I um, just want to poke around on the website some more and see what more I can learn. And, you know, mm-hmm. I think just try to get a, a full look at the situation even more so than I have now. So um, mapping police violence is yeah. what I want to spend time with. What about you? Yeah, I appreciate it. I think, you know, there's so many ways that we know, we know the, the uh, we know the people that we know. Yeah. who have been killed. We yeah. know the people who their names rise to a level of attention um, that becomes national or, or maybe international. Mm-hmm. Um, but more than 1,100 people were killed last year. Um, oh so like, God. you know, I, I think diving into the map and understanding where that all happens um, and understanding how, like, I guess not how, but like that it's happening across the country. Right. Right. Um, I think is is important homework. Um so I'll co-sign that, and then I'll also say that the homework I thought about this week to to share um, is to spend some more time with defundpolice.org, yes. um, which I'd heard about a little bit, uh, and I poked around on it, and it looked familiar, but I don't know if we've um, – I guess we haven't talked about it here yet. Yeah. Um, so uh, there's several more tools and resources available on the site now than there were when I remember poking around on it a few years back. Um, so I'd love to dive into some more information about our – county police department here and the dc police department as well and what their funding levels look like how much money is going to them and and stuff like that which um that the website has uh, that data um so there's actually a lot of police departments in our areas due to us being so close to the capital right um so it may be interesting to look into some of those as well um that the website tracks right like yeah there's so many different jurisdictions um, in our area that um overlap in some senses I like that. I think that could be an interesting thing for us to do here for the podcast too, just yeah. as a as a case study, uh, if you will, but mm-hmm. also just because of the fact that we live here. We both live yeah, here, right? So it's important to us to know that. So um, I love that. Very good. Um, all right. Well, with that, Aaron, you're up next time. What are you bringing to the table in our next episode? Yeah. Um, I'm bringing a book by Robin D.G. Kelly called Freedom Dreams, uh, yeah. which I think feels apropos. Uh, for what we just talked about and how we sort of can dream about what um, public safety can look like beyond what we know currently. I love it. Um, so uh, I pulled some uh, a description of it from um, the, the publisher's website, uh, and this is what it said. First published in 2002, Freedom Dreams is a staple in the study of the black radical tradition unearthing the thrilling history of grassroots movements and renegade intellectuals and artists kelly recovers the dreams of the future world's black radicals struggled to achieve a 20th anniversary edition was released uh last year uh, so that's the one that we're reading and talking about uh next week uh and yeah so i'm, I'm excited to dive into that and talk about it right here um, and continue to learn more about these dreams from um the black radical tradition and um a variety of people um who are covered in this in this book. I love it. Yeah, I know we both have started to read this book. We've been reading it for a couple of weeks now in preparation for knowing that one of us is going to bring this to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, and so far, so damn good. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it's I like what you say there. It's it, It'll be great for us to dream a bit um, and dream alongside Dr. Kelly and 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 the amazing folks he references uh, yes. throughout the book and um, to think about what comes next, right? Mm-hmm. To talk about that. So um, 
uh, overjoyed and excited to uh, chat about that book next week. Thanks for bringing it to the table. Um, all right. Well, with that, we want to thank you for joining us today and for listening to Interdependent Study. Uh, you know what I'm going to ask you to do here, but in case you forgot, please follow, leave a rating and review. Share this podcast with everyone you know. Follow us on social media. Sign up for our email list to get notified about any new thing we've got going on behind the scenes. Yes, thank you so much for listening. And remember, it's not about us, but it is about us. And we'll talk to you next week.